Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to... We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. My dream was not to be a president. My dream was to be a shepherd or a poet of the stars. That was what Shimon Perez said in his inauguration address on July 15th. 2007. Perez died Wednesday morning at age 93. He may not have wanted to become a leader, but his political path and vision turned him into a key figure in Israeli leadership for more than 50 years. This is from Heretz.com. Perez, the ninth president of the State of Israel and the 1994 Nobel Peace Prize winner, served twice as prime minister of the country, once between 1984 and 1986 in a rotation agreement with the Likud, and again after the assassination of former prime minister Yitzhak Rabin in 1995 until the May 1996 election when Benjamin Netanyahu won the premiership. Shimon Perez, formerly uh, Simon Pertsky, was born on August 21, 1923, in Vishnev, Poland. He immigrated to Israel with his family in 1934 and studied at the Gula Gymnasia High School in Tel Aviv and at the Ben Shemin Agricultural School. In 1947, he enlisted in the Haganah Pre-Independence Army of Palestine's Jews, where he was put in charge of armaments acquisition. At the young age of 30, Perez was appointed Director General of the Defense Ministry, where he became significant in the development of the nuclear reactor in Daimona, as well as the Israel Aerospace Industries. Perez served as a member of the Knesset for 48 straight years. He was first elected in 1959 as a member of the Mapai Party when only 36 years old. He served as Deputy Defense Minister from 1959 to 1965. In 1965, along with his patron David Ben-Gurion, Perez quit Mapai and became the General Secretary of RAFI, a Hebrew acronym for Israeli Workers List. He was appointed Absorption Minister in 1969 and tasked with overseeing the economic development of Judea and Sumeria. In 1974, Perez lost the later party leadership race to Rabin. When Rabin was subsequently elected prime minister, he named Perez as defense minister cabinet. Uh, the challenges Perez faced as defense minister were legion, including to rebuild the Israeli army after the Yom Kippur War. Perez rose to the challenge, equipping the IDF with missiles, tanks, and fighter jets, some manufactured in Israel, some not. Uh, and it goes on to talk about his various achievements. Um, many of them remain top secret. Others in the public domain included the 1976 Entebbe mission to rescue Israeli passengers on an Air France flight who were taken hostage and building the, quote, good fence, unquote, with Lebanon. Perez was also behind the execution of the agreements with Egypt and Syria after the Yom Kippur War and laid the foundations for cooperation with the Christian leadership in Lebanon. And it, his his history and the things that he accomplished and how he literally helped found the state of Israel is just incredible. I could go on and on and on. There are countless articles all across Israeli press uh, today and here in the United States. This was a great leader for the state of Israel. And uh, 
our thoughts are with the people of Israel today as they mourn their former president and uh, and state champion. Incredible guy, Shimon Perez. You should look him up. Read his story. He never had any plans to be in politics. Never had plans to do anything political or serve in a government. He just wanted to be a poet. <laughs> it's amazing how life works out. It is See You at the Poll Day here in the United States, all across the country, from sea to shining sea. Students in schools everywhere are gathering at flagpoles to pray for their schools and for our countries. Today is the day. If you are on your way to school or haven't gotten there yet, you can still participate. Uh, It's just a matter of gathering with your friends at the flagpole and praying for your school and for your country. It's a fantastic event. It began in 1990 with just 10 students who gathered at their flagpole to pray. 20 years later, actually it's more than that now, 25, 26, 26 years later, there are millions of students who participate in the CU at the Pole uh, event every September. It's a great event. Tomorrow, actually, we're going to talk about another event that's similar to this, but different. It's Bring Your Bible to School Day, which is actually coming up next week. October 6th is officially Bring Your Bible to School Day. The hashtag for that is Bring Your Bible if you'd like to participate in that event. Great, great event. All right, let's get to some uh, some of the news of the day. Well, actually, this is not news of today, but I think it got lost somewhere because I haven't read about it. And I've been wanting to talk about this subject, oh, for about a week now, but I just haven't been able to fit it in. So here we go. This is from the Daily Wire. Three female jihadists tried to blow up Notre Dame Cathedral. When the national debate over Syrian refugees reached fever pitch last year, President Obama mocked Republicans who feared widows and orphans. Within 48 hours, three female jihadis had blown themselves up for the glory of Allah. And it looks like we had another three female radicals almost attain martyrdom, this time at the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. As the AP reported, three women radicals with apparent plans for imminent violence were detained Thursday after a standoff with French police as part of a terrorism investigation into six gas canisters found in a car abandoned near Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, the interior minister said. The standoff occurred, uh, let's see, when did this actually happen? Because this is not a new story. about, looks like about two weeks ago this happened, maybe two and a half weeks ago. These radicalized fanatic women, aged 39, 23, and 19 years old, were likely preparing new violent actions particularly imminent. France has been confronted with a terrorist threat of unprecedented scale. At least seven people have now been detained in connection with the attack, and the thwarted Notre Dame plot will almost certainly not be the last one involving female Radicals. Last week, one Paris prosecutor said that authorities were seeing an increasing number of young women being radicalized and suggested that more might be involved in terror plots in the future. The thing is, it's now been confirmed since this attempted bombing that this this use of, of women and young women 
is part of a larger overall shift in thinking in ISIS and terror from simply utilizing women as jihadi brides to turning them into jihadis themselves. Uh, The Financial Express reported that ISIS is promoting women from mother and wife to suicide bombers. The Islamic State of Iraq and Syria has made a tectonic shift in their strategy as far as utilization of women is concerned. Earlier, this terror-inflicting group used to recruit women to serve as mothers and or wives to the jihadis, who, um, but that has now extended to becoming suicide bombers or leading in plotting and executing an attack. Signals began when a deserted car was found early morning near... Um, on an early morning near the Notre Dame Cathedral, as I was just telling you about. Uh, Upon investigation, it was discovered that the conspirators behind the car were women who were remote-controlled by a French jihadi known by the name of Rahid Qasim, who was operating from his base in an unknown location in either Iraq or Syria under ISIS control. The terrorist organization uses not only women, but young women who get to know each other and develop their plot from a distance, said French prosecutor Francois Moline. In the last few days and hours, a terrorist cell was dismantled, composed of young women totally receptive to the deadly Desh ideology. This is a significant shift for ISIS. In the past, many women have instigated their spouses to seek martyrdom, and several Islamic terror organizations have used women to carry out attacks, unlike their previous role of just being the mother or the wife of jihadis. Per police reports, there have been detention of five women and a 15-year-old boy who was reportedly in touch with Kasim and was about to carry out a knife attack. How is this relevant? Let me tell you how this is relevant. When you have the refugee crisis and you're saying, well, are they possibly being infiltrated by extremists? Well, the extremists now are taking on, how do you, how do you, you can no longer say, oh, we'll let in the, we'll let in the women and children. When ISIS is now shifting their focus to create Suicide bombers and stabbers and people who are just ready to kill anyone who doesn't agree with them out of women and children. Worst of all, this entire effort of, of, of a mindset shift from jihadi brides to jihadis is apparently believed to be being led by a British jihadi bride. She's the name of, or she goes by the name of Sally Jones, and she is heading a new wave of all-female ISIS cells whose purpose is revenge attacks in the West. And it is feared that she is training her female ISIS cell groups to utilize their children on missions within the United States so that they can slip under the radar. This is from The Sun in the UK. Sally Jones is heading up a secret army of female jihadis intent on launching a bloody wave of suicide attacks in the West with their children in tow. Jones, who became the world's most wanted woman after fleeing Britain to join ISIS, has pledged to destroy the country she turned her back on with the help of her deadly new brigade of female jihadis. It's believed the women, mainly war widows, will use the face 
of being female to slip under the radar before launching their bloody attacks. It is feared that they will even bring their children on their merciless missions in an attempt to foil security services. Mm. Just days ago, it was reported a teenager shot by cops was part of France's first ever all-female ISIS terror cell, which planned the at to attack the Gare du Nord train station in Paris. The mother of two traveled to Syria from Kent to marry high-profile terror hacker Joanaid Hussein with her 11-year-old son, Jojo Dixon. But when her husband was killed in a U.S. drone strike, leaving her and Hussein's other wife widowed, she began leading the female wing of the Anwar al-Awahi battalion. An ISIS defector confirmed her new position, saying ISIS respects her because she is the widow of Janaid, who was important to the group. The battalion, get this, the battalion is made up of foreign fighters, female, female foreign fighters. Not foreign to the West. Foreign as in they're not from Iraq and Syria. So they're leaving the West. They're joining ISIS. And they're planning to utilize their womanhood to come back to the West with their children and orchestrate terror attacks against their own countries. Jones, who now goes by the name Am Hussein Albertani, trains the soldiers in combat and strategies for suicide missions against Western targets. The defector added, Am Hussein is also influential in her own right. She was the reason ISIS was able to recruit a lot of Western girls to Raqqa. It's not easy to convince uh, Western girls to become extremists, but... Shuri's reportedly receiving a monthly salary of 520 pounds, as well as an occasional bonus of 226 pounds for being a high-profile widow of a martyr. Mm. Counterterrorism advisor Michael S. Smith told The Telegraph he was not surprised by this. The deployment of female fighters and suicide bombers, notably women whose male family members died while waging jihad, became a common occurrence after Abu Masad al-Zahari organized the group now called the Islamic State. You may have also seen the videos with uh, child jihadis performing executions. ISIS released a video which showed five children including one blue-eyed boy named Abu Abdallah al-Britani, slaughtering a group of Kurdish prisoners. This is just evil. You know, and throughout history, we've felt, held a fairly global unity on the whole topic of women and children. You know, we don't fight women and children. Women and children get first consideration. You know, I mentioned the women and children who are refugees. What do we do now? I mean, we've completely changed on a global scale. Our thinking has to adjust in regards to immigration and education and terror threats. Everything. It, it, we can no longer simply make an exception for women and children. In a modern world, one which is, though modern, still terrorized by middle-aged thinking barbarians, it just no longer works. But there's a new report 
a British report. I think he's British. Is this guy British? Or Indian? A German. A German of Kurdish background. He has gone back to Iraq and Syria and he is talking to captured ISIS prisoners and he is getting the word out. He is making the public more and more aware of the horrors of ISIS. You know, we only see the things that our media wants us to see. And quite frankly, with our election happening right now, we we see very little that isn't election related. We know very little of what's happening in the world at large. Sometimes we get so caught up living in our, our own little bubble that we forget what's happening outside of that bubble. But ISIS is just... There is no word other than terrorizing that describes what they are doing in the Middle East. We may see a video here and there and and be shocked by it and think, oh, that's terrible. But a video here and there is not the extent of what ISIS is doing. They are daily destroying families and killing and raping and, and kidnapping. It's just horrific. And now we have uh, this gentleman. His name is Dr. Jean Kizihan. He is interviewing uh, these ISIS fighters. And I can't, there's an article on Fox News. You should go and read it. I can't even tell you the things that that these ISIS fighters are telling him because this is a family show. But it is evil. Evil. I do want to read one line of his report, though, because I'm going to use it to transition. So he's talking to this one prisoner and asking him, you know, how are you able to to perform these great acts of evil upon women and children and, and men and boys? Different evil for each group, as I'm sure you can imagine. And he said, I asked this fighter how he could show love for his wife and children and commit these evils on the same day. He said that the fighter replied, there's no remorse about making daily trips to a marketplace to uh, commit these unspeakable evils, after which he would return home as a loving father and husband. To which he said, the evil that he is committing, including beheading people, He said killing them was like killing a chicken. In his mind, his victims are not human. Like killing a chicken. And I thought about this. And I was like, how do you you reach this point where you don't even recognize people as people? You know, and oftentimes we think of, oh, it's just it's a it's a Middle Eastern problem, and they don't they don't know, and their thinking is just so messed up. And I'm like, yeah, but why is this? And are we that far away from having this happen here? And I and I have a question. My question is, if evolution is true, if we're really just an evolved animal and no better than than the animals, then what is the value of human life? Why then, and this is a hypothetical question really, but why then is killing a human worse than killing a chicken? 
You could say that this fighter's thinking is messed up, but in reality, is our thinking that much more messed up if we don't think, or excuse me, rather, if we do think that we've just simply evolved from a monkey or even a chicken? And you say, well, that's a ridiculous question. Is it? Think about it now. Is it really that ridiculous? I mean, what is it that makes human life valuable? If God isn't in the picture, if man isn't created by God on purpose, with a purpose, then what value is there in that life? If evolution is true, if we're all just glorified monkeys with no real past and no real future, then what even is the purpose of living? There isn't any. You can keep looking, you can look for forever, and you won't find it. Life has meaning because of God. If you remove God from the, from the picture, then you remove the meaning from life. I mean, why do we have compassion? Why do we care about others? Why do we not simply hoard what we have and care about ourselves? Why do we believe that people and chickens are not equal? Why do we love It's very simple. We love because we are made in the image of God, and God is love. But God's love is so far way beyond anything we can imagine. You know, the Bible says that for a good man, well, you might die in the place of a good man. Say, for instance, that your pastor or someone you greatly respect is about to be shot, and you see it coming, and you could take that bullet. There's a good chance you might try to take that bullet. But what if it was... What if it was Saddam Hussein or or Mussolini? What if it was a firing squad for one of those guys? Would you jump in front of that bullet? Would you even try? Would you even think about it? No. But God, he doesn't just love the good people or the lovable people. God looks at everyone, even the people that we despise. And obviously, Mussolini is kind of an extreme example, so let's make it more personal. Take your least-like politician. God loves them and cares just as much about them as he does about you. Kind of messes with your thinking for a minute there, doesn't it? But it's true because God is love and God loves everyone. But the thing is, though God loves everyone and God wants a relationship with everyone... You know, one of my former pastors always used to say, God is a gentleman. See, God's not going to force you to love him or have a relationship with him. But he's always there. He's always ready. He's always waiting. So how do we do that? How is it possible for us to have a relationship with God? And that's a great question. I'm going to give you the answer here before we go to our break. I hope you listen. The Bible says that we are all sinners, that we have all done wrong, and that God is holy and God is righteous. And one day when we die, we're going to stand before him to be judged. And that sin in our life, it is separating us from God. And if it stays in our lives, it's going to keep us from heaven. But there's good news. Remember how I said that God is love? God loves us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on the cross in your place, in my place, to pay for your sins, pay for my sins. And you can know that you're going to heaven because of what Jesus did. See, we can be declared righteous, we can be declared without sin, because Jesus took the punishment that we deserve for that sin. 
And after Jesus died on the cross, that's the story didn't end. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses at one time. And then he went back to heaven. And he's now reigning there as the one true God. And he's just waiting for you to call upon him. That's, all, that's it. That's all you have to do. The Bible says that it's not by works of righteousness that we do that get us to heaven, but because of what Jesus did. You can never be good enough to get to heaven. You can't. What you can do, the only thing you can do, is call upon Jesus, admit you're a sinner, and ask him to give you eternal life. Romans 10 says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might or you maybe or sometime later. No, you will be saved. It goes on in verse 10. It says, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You say, well, I don't, what, what does that even mean? It means that you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, and it means that you ask him with your mouth to save you. And if you've never done that, you can do that today. You can pray something like this to Jesus. You could say, dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that you are God. I know that because of my sin, I deserve to go to hell, but you died to pay for my sin. I believe, Jesus, that you died, that you were buried, and that you rose from the dead, proving that you are God. And right now, in the best way I know how, I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to save me, forgive me of my sin, and take me to heaven when I die. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Help me now to live for you. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, and you meant it, You've become a child of God, and you're on your way to heaven. We'd love to hear about your decision. We'd love to talk with you about that. You can call us at 702-647-4522, or you can email us at radio at experienceliberty.com. I want to tell you about some friends of ours over at Hope Christian Health Center. Hope Christian Health Center exists to glorify God by demonstrating Christ's love, that love that we're talking about, among our Las Vegas neighbors through excellent and affordable primary health care for all. They're a nonprofit group, and you can reach them at 702-644-HOPE or online at hopehealthvegas.org. And we thank Hope Health Christian Center for their support and for their service to our community. We have to take a break now. When we get back, the Berkey family is going to be here. They're going to talk with us about... Family devotions. I think you're going to like it. I like it. But first, here's East to West from Casting Crowns. Welcome back. You're listening to 101.1 FM KVXL Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church. Today we have the entire Berkey family. We've had various Berkeys at different times, but all of them are here now, except for whatever ones live in Florida or wherever the rest of them live. This would be the Pastor Neil Berkeys of the world. Welcome, guys. How are you doing, Cherish? Good. Are you good? Are you glad to be here? Yes. Yes. What about you, Trey? Very good. Very good. Lincoln, would you like to speak? Want to say hi? Go ahead. Hi. Hi, Lincoln. Say hi, Las Vegas. Hi, Las Vegas. Me. What's her name? Crystal? Yeah. Hi, Tessa. (laughs) Hi, Lincoln. So we have all the Berkeys here today because we're going to talk about family devotions, and we're going to get it from a youth pastor's perspective and a youth pastor's wife and mommy perspective and the kids perspective so this should be fun all right so let's start let's start with mom charity 
Hello, welcome. Hey, Crystal. Don't take all my good answers. <laughs> Pastor Neil says, don't take all his good answers. All right, so then we'll start with an easy question. We're talking about family devotions, right? Okay. So for people that maybe haven't done family devotions or, you know, we, we talk a lot about the importance of individual devotions and uh, spending time in individual prayer and Bible reading, but we don't talk about family devotions as much. So when people say this, I think it can sound kind of intimidating if you don't know what you're, is being talked about. Like, is this where you sit your 12 children around a table and they all present a 10-point PowerPoint? Right. I'm is glad, that how it I'm works? I'm really glad that you explained about my, you know, our um, eight other children yes. that we don't talk about. These yes. are the best ones. We bring them out. <laughs> you bring out the best ones? <laughs> yes. Awesome. No, I, I agree. Um, a lot of times when you even just say the word devotions, I've had people that I've taken through discipleship that have asked me, you talk about, you know, we start people that we're starting devotion is starting discipleship with. They say, you talk about devotions. What is what is a devotion? Right. I've been asked that. Sure. And that's great. Um, that really because people are wanting to know um, devotions is just a big word for, you know, time alone with God. Um, and that's what we use it for. But when we call it family devotions, it's when our family gets together and we spend time alone as a family with Jesus. All right, so that's what family devotions is. How do you make it work? You have different age children, and then they're going to get older. So, Pastor Neil, how do you actually do family devotions? Like, are you are you presenting a 45-minute sermon? Or what, what is family devotions? Family devotions, that's a great question. Uh, coming from hearing, uh, hearing from the, the side of charity, my wife, things uh, often were comical. And uh, when we had we were growing up, uh, things were comical as well. And so, yes. um, so sometimes people have an idea of what family devotions is, and um, I think it's okay at times that they're comical. But sure. but our but our style, what we usually do is we we will usually have a book. And in fact, there are several books that we've used that have been very helpful. And one of the books that we used is 365 uh, Bible stories uh, for your kids. Okay. Yeah. And so um, what we do is we read that, and I will I will add many times stuff to that to make it exciting. And then what I've done that has been very effective. I think uh, Charity got the idea, um, or she helped me with the idea, was uh, giving asking questions and then giving your kids money for it. Oh. Uh, yeah. So this they is just, a great idea. They just love that. And uh, giving extra time, staying up with us, stuff like that. They just love, um, in, they enjoy it. And I think that's the, the biggest thing is making it enjoyable. Yeah. And some, sometimes, like you said, it's it's like a, if you did a 45-minute session, uh, they're like, oh, where where can I just crawl under and go to sleep? And, yeah. uh, and so having it fun, it does make it, does make it fun. And so uh, one of the things that we've done is in doing that, they look forward to that, I think, every time that we do have family devotions. Awesome. So, Trey, let's ask Trey a question. Trey, your dad says you look forward to family devotions. Do you, in fact, look forward to family devotions? Yes. What's your favorite thing about doing devotions with um, your family? That dad tells us stories. Yeah? Are they good stories? Mm-hmm. Are they exciting or are they boring? Uh, exciting. They're exciting. Good, I'll give you five bucks later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's your favorite Bible story, Trey? Um, or thing that you've talked about in devotions lately? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Ooh. What is it that you like about Adam and Eve? Um, um, that 
that God is actually powerful, and they showed um, showed them by um, by making the animals. Oh yeah, that's very good. Cherish, what do you what do you do you like doing devotions with mom and dad? Yes. Yeah. What do you like about it? That that God it's actually real, and God actually made it. The animals in the story of Adam and Eve, is that what you're talking about? Yeah? Yeah? Is that one of your favorite Bible stories, too? Yes. Yes? Do you think, is it Lincoln's favorite, too? Yeah? Is this one that you're doing in devotions right now? Yes? you got to make sure you say the answer, because uh-huh. they can't hear they Yeah, because it. it's radio, so if I shake my head, you can see me, but the people listening, they don't know, because they're, like, blind. Is that crazy? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You were asking about um, what you were asking about specifically what devotions are. Yeah. I think really what family devotions specifically are is when it's something that's done all throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something my parents always, my dad always says, I'm the worst person at family devotions that ever existed. He, I, I remember him saying that all the time. Yeah. But the truth is we talked about the Bible and God and the facts about the Bible. We asked questions constantly mm-hmm. about the Bible. We listen to Adventures in Odyssey all the time. That yeah. is a form of family devotions because you are learning biblical truths. Sure. And it goes to what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, 7, it's Old Testament verse, and says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. It's talking about teaching them the commands, teaching them about God, teaching them what we are supposed to do as believers. And it's something that the whole... um, idea there is we're talking about God all the time. It's not just on Sunday mornings when we get ready for church and we go to church. It's not Sunday night. It's not Wednesday night. It's consistently, continually bringing in Jesus through everything. Oh, isn't that sunshine beautiful today? Aren't you glad God made the sun? And so it's a continual, it's not just a sitting down for 15 minutes or 45 minutes. And it's not like you you blow a bugle and wake all your children up at 4.30 a.m. so that you can do family (laughs) devotions at a consistent time. Oh, sometimes? Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) But no, exactly. It's not something, it's not a dreaded thing. Our kids are at the age right now that it's training them to Mm -hmm. really do enjoy it. So we're not 15 years old saying, okay, now we're going to sit down and start doing devotions with them. Yeah. And they're like, what are sure. you talking about? Yeah. What are you? <laughs> and the, the truth is, if you haven't done it and your kids are 15, it is something you still should start doing. Mm-hmm. It's something that you can bring and you can make and en- make it enjoyable as well. Yeah. So let's talk about a couple practical aspects of doing family devotions. I know one thing that my dad did as we were growing up while well, my parents, they got us, when we got our first uh, real Bible, if you will, they got us all the same Bible so that it looked the same. So that when we're reading through, everybody's Bible looks exactly the same. So it's easy to follow so you're like all on the, the same page, page numbers. Exactly. So wow, if you haven't learned idea. yet the books of the Bible, you can still go to that page number and it's going to look right. the same as the person next to you. So that was one thing that my parents did to make sure that we could all follow along. Uh, Pastor Berkey, do you have any like practical suggestions for doing family devotions with your kids? I think, yeah, family devotions is important. I think what Charity said is is excellent in that you're doing it throughout the day. 
Um, but I think having one specific theme. So um, if there's something that you're pulling out that you can you can stress with that, whether it's, um, okay, we're going to stay pure, or whether that's mm. going to be like, okay, obey God. Um, one of the things that there's... Um, uh, there's a family that 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 on the internet that had like 36 characteristics. Even downloading something like that, and as you're teaching sure. kids, are huge. And um, so you're teaching kids to be to be what they're going to be like um, when they're adults. Yeah. And so even parents that may not even have devotions, it's so important just to have it. So the practical thing is, I think the big thing is making the Bible alive. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what really changed, I guess, my life in even having devotions as well. And so that was the biggest part is just making it, making it real. Yeah. And so I think, you know, a lot of people, when they think about family devotions, they think of it as a, it has to be at this time, like what Charity was talking about. And it's really, it's not so much, it's more of a throughout the day, yeah. the training all as you go. Yeah. 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 I would, I would, I would very much agree with that. Um, yeah, but the responsibility, people too as well, they find great, either great difficulty or maybe they just feel um, overwhelmed or just not um, like they could teach their kids. But yet, who else is going to teach their kids? Right. That's who God's given the responsibility to. And so um, your kids are going to end up being who, what you put into them. Mm-hmm. And so where are they getting their influence from? And so that's what they're going to be. So I think it's a huge, what a privilege too as well, because you are influencing molding their mind to what they think about God. And um, that's the most important thing, I think. Yeah. Charity, what do you think? Um, for practical things to use when yeah. you're doing the sit-down family devotions, mm-hmm. um, one thing we have really enjoyed is the 365 read-aloud bedtime Bible stories. Okay, yeah. you, we found that you can, I just Googled it. We've had this for quite a few years, and it's $2.30 you can buy on Google. Oh, wow. So <laughs> it's not that even huge of an investment, but it gives, they have, we haven't found many errors at all in it either. Have I mean, when we're, when we've been, because we always, we'll bring stuff in, there'll be things that we read that obviously it might not be exactly what we would right. teach. And so we'll just tell them, oh, you know what? This is wrong. The Bible actually teaches this. Yeah. And, um, but with this one, we've, it's been fairly, uh, very So you're accurate. not like reading word for word King James. Right. Um, yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. And it makes it exciting. And there's, so we really, we've incorporated, we read books with a devotion time almost every single night. Like yeah. the other night we read The Princess and the Kiss. And that book talks about the importance of purity and it puts it at the children's level. And it really, um, it gives them an understanding without giving too much, being too explicit with it. Right. And um, so we read that and we also read one page of the 365 read aloud bedtime stories. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's many books. There's Growing up, I, uh, my parents did missionary books, too, as well. So there was, like, a time that they did, like, a devotion book. Um, there was times that we did, uh, we read, like, Corey Ten Boom, and we read about her story. And so it was, that was devotion. Sure. It wasn't necessarily, um, okay, we're going to open up the family Bible, and, uh, yeah. and okay, we're going to read nine pages of this. <laughs> right. It was, um, but it was, that was devotion. It was about, okay, how did she put God first in her life? So that was a huge uh, help as well. Trey just reminded me about we we recently got the Adventures in Odyssey books, 
And he, uh, you were with us the other night. He ran and he yes. got it, and he yep. actually reads one of the pages, and mm-hmm. then we would read one of the pages, and then and that helps with his reading. But so it's two birds in one stone right there. You yeah, know, he's enjoying reading. And the Adventures in Odyssey just talks about different. Everything is everything relates back to God. So it makes yeah. it exciting for him as well, and it brings the Bible to life. Right, right. So. Another thing that my parents did, which was really easy, was uh, on Sundays or Wednesdays or whenever we were at church, you know, usually we're in Sunday school or we're doing something, and if we were in service with them, we all had notebooks and were required to take notes or draw pictures, depending on how old we were. <laughs> but... Um, you know, if, you're, if your kids are in Sunday school, most likely they're coming home with something that's colored or something that they talked about. And every Sunday afternoon, yes. we'd sit around. We had eggs and bagels and home fries every Sunday and cantaloupe. Hmm. And then there would be, um, we just have like a little Bible study where we talk about what everybody learned at church that day. And dad would ask questions and we'd discuss stories or whatever we talked about. And just, it was an easy way to do a time of devotion. That, and that's exactly what the things that we send home with the kids at our church yeah. They are sent home with take-home papers for their parents to go over with them. And it, it takes yeah. five minutes right. to read this stuff. You can even do it on your drive home, depending on how far right. away you True. live. And that's what we'll bring out. And they're full of, and this is all free for right. Right. <laughs> for you. In fact, for some ages, you could read the exact same thing every single day and... They would still be entertained, and yes. <laughs> you know, it's just line yes. upon line. The Bible teaches precept upon precept. That's how they're going to learn, little by little, little by little. Yes, so. I think Lincoln has something he'd like to share with us. Lincoln, who does devotions um, at your house? Who Daddy. tells you about Jesus? Daddy? Yeah, yeah, mine and Mama's funny. <laughs> oh, and Mommy's funny. Did yeah, they do a good job. Learn about Jesus. Yes, you're shaking your head yes. Can you say yes? Yes. Yes. Is there anything else you'd like to say? You want to say I love you, Mom and Dad? I love you, Mom and Dad. Oh, This so is sweet. something we do. Hey, Lincoln, we always okay. ask questions. Lincoln, who is Jesus? Dot. That's right. What did G- Jesus died on the... Class. That's right. And we do answers that are yeah. age level. How old are you, Lincoln? Three. You're three? Hey, no, I'm yes. two. No, you're two. I'm a little liar. No, V! No, V! No, All right, thank you, Lincoln. Trey, is there anything? I'll, I'll let you have the last word, Trey. Is there anything that you would like to say before we have to go? Yeah, you're going to have to go over to the mic. Yep. Um, I would just like to say um, books are really fun to read. Yeah? If, if like, someone's... Um, like if someone's com- um, like if you're going to help with someone and stuff like that. Yeah, are books good for devotions too? Do they help you with yes. learning about the Bible? Yeah. Really good. Um, the, the squire maybe. Yes, the squire and and the. The princess kiss. Do you like the princess kiss? The princess kiss. Prince at the end yes, we did that. I remember yeah. doing that book when we were growing. That's an excellent book. Yeah, All right. Really good. Thank you, Berkeys. I'm sorry we are out of time, well, so I'm going to have to let you go. Come. I'm sure we will have you back again soon. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. This is KBXL 101.1 FM in Las Vegas. So much fun having all the little Berkeys in the studio, and and the Berkey parents too. But honestly, the the kids are more fun. But don't tell them that I said so. 
All right. I have to let you go, but first, I need to tell you this, because this is one of, I think, the most intriguing untold stories of history. Except it's not untold, because I'm about to tell it to you, and then it, you'll know it. Ready? Have you heard the name Private Henry Tandy? Private Henry Tandy uh, was a British soldier. He was wounded in 1916 in World War I, recovered, gets wounded again during the Third Battle of... Um, I don't even know how you say this this battle's name, but he gets wounded again during a battle at Passingdale in the summer of 1917 in World War I. Recovers, returns to battle. And from July through October of 1918, Henry Tandy served with the 5th Duke of Wellington Regiment. During that time, he took part in the successful British capture of Maussani, for which he earned a Victoria Cross for his conspicuous bravery. And it's during that battle that something happened. Tandy is there, and the battle is winding down. It's almost over. The German troops are fleeing. And as they're fleeing, Tandy spots this wounded German who comes into his line of fire. And he could have shot and killed the man. But he said, I took aim, but I couldn't shoot a wounded man, so I let him go. The German soldier nodded in thanks and disappeared. Years later... Uh, when Neville Chamberlain traveled to Germany in 1938 to engage Adolf Hitler in a last-ditch effort to avoid another war in Europe, Hitler took Chamberlain uh, to his new country retreat in Bavaria. While there, Hitler showed Chamberlain his copy of a painting. A painting of Private Tandy carrying a wounded soldier And Hitler pointed to the painting and said to Chamberlain, That's the man who nearly shot me. I'll let you think on that for the rest of your day. And you can look it up. Look it up. Private Henry Tandy and Adolf Hitler, World War I. Intriguing story. And that's it. We are out of time. Hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to be here again tomorrow. Tomorrow. Uh, we're going to be talking about Bring Your Bible to School Day, October 6th, uh, with a uh, representative from Focus on the Family. Great lady. Candy uh, Cushman, I believe, is her name. I think you will enjoy getting to know her and hearing about Bring Your Bible to School Day. And just be, if you go to a Christian school or your homeschool, you can still participate. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. Be sure to join us. Until then, hope you have a great day. This is Chris Tomlin with Jesus. Later.